Go ahead, give him praise. So no matter what you're facing, we know that our God is good and he's faithful. So we rest in that. We stop there. Before we fear, before we worry, before we panic, we stop and we remind ourselves he's good and he's faithful and he's for me, he's not against me. And he's going to pull me through. And I don't know what you might be facing today, but there's a story about a guy in the Old Testament. He was surrounded by the enemy. He was panicked. He was so afraid. And he ran to his pastor, the prophet Elisha. And he said, he said, prophet, we're, we're surrounded by the enemy. I don't know what to do. And Elisha begins to pray, but he does not pray against the enemy and he does not pray for God's intervention rather he says God open our eyes remind this guy there are more for us than there are against us I just want you to know today I don't know what you're facing there are more for you than there are against you and quite frankly the the one who is for you Jesus if God is for you who can be against you so today we don't, we don't fight this thing in our own strength and we don't try to make it happen. We, we rest in it. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I fight my battles right here in your presence. It may look, it may look, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Say it. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Like I'm so 
No matter what you're facing today, our God is greater. Come on. It may look like show you this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read it and explain it to you. I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Now, let me explain what happened. Paul is receiving an offering from the Corinthian church, and what he says is, they've talked about it probably months before. And the Corinthian church had time to, catch these words, plan it and budget for it. Let me just give you a a life tip here, okay, and and take it or leave it. If you really want to step into generosity and into tithing, you're going to have to set your budget around the tithe, not set the tithe around your budget. Let me explain the difference. For my wife and I, and listen, when we got married, we we were... we were so broke, we couldn't pay attention, okay? We were so broke. Like, Poe, not poor, Poe. We couldn't afford the R. So broke. I have one more, but my wife doesn't allow me to say it anymore. But I don't think she's in the service. We were so broke, we would go to KFC to lick other people's fingers. Happy birthday. Good to see you. That's just for you. <laughs> That's how broke we were. Uh, thank God she's not in here right now because that could have been bad. Please don't tell her. And I'll tell you, we tithe first because I'll take 90% in God's hand than 100% in my hand. And then we got to the point where we were able to make it. Paycheck to paycheck. Always zero at the end of the month. But we were paying our bills, getting out of debt, putting a little away in savings. Tithe was first. Now we're at a point, I thank God, we're living in more than enough. We don't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. And through the faithfulness of God, and by the way, I don't, I don't live that lifestyle because of you. Uh, God takes care of us through uh, the way that I travel and speak. Um, and so just so you know that, what you give today doesn't go to me. It goes right into ministry. It goes right into our our future vision and future endeavors. So just so you know that you're not paying my car note, okay? Uh, God takes care of us a different way. But now that we're in a different place of abundance, we still tithe first. So we, just like Paul said, we set our budget and our offering first. Then we create the rest of our budget. And we trust God. And we trusted God with a very little Trust God with a little bit more. Now, look at the next verse. 
Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds, you're going to get a small crop. That's, that's how it is. But one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, I've been praying about this scripture all week. And I've been saying, God, what's a generous gift? A generous gift is a gift that gets your attention. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, if you can just kind of reach into your wallet or reach into your purse and throw a couple of bucks in, that wasn't generous because it didn't get your attention. But how many know, like when we start talking about tithing, whew, gets your attention. That's 10%, right? Or an offering above that. It, wow, now we're, this is getting my attention. And listen, by the way, you're going, well, I'm too broke to tithe. Listen, the more money you make, the more zeros you add to your tithe. It, it never gets easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whether you're making 20000 a year or $20 million a year, it's a big percentage of your income going back to God. But Paul says, plan it, plan for it, budget for it, and then take that step of faith. Make that generous gift. And he goes, God will make sure he gives back to you generously. Can I hear an amen? I'm telling you, God wants to bless your life. Poverty is not a blessing. <laughs> Poverty doesn't make you holy. Go find the poorest neighborhoods in, in our nation and you will find drug addiction. You will find gangs. You will find violence. You will find abuse. Hello, somebody. I, I met a youth pastor. I was in Vesta yesterday studying or Friday studying. And a youth pastor walked up to me and he goes, man, I'm on the northeast side of town. Uh, you know, just a, a really low income area. And he goes, I'm just trying to convince these kids not to quit high school. He goes, because... They have no faith for an education because they can just go sell drugs and make more money. That's poverty. That's not what God's plan is for you or your family. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? God wants to supply for you abundantly. All right. It's true. I'm not, I'm not even trying to get an amen. I'm telling you, God wants to bless your socks off. Okay, I'm getting old because I just used that phrase. Wants to bless your life more than enough. Prosperity is not driving a Bentley. Prosperity is not living in a seven-figure home. Prosperity is having enough to fulfill your assignment and more than enough to be a blessing. That's prosperity. I'm going to pray that over you. Father, I'm praying that you would prosper us. Not so we can have more, but so that we can be a greater blessing to our world. In Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Galatians chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. Yet now, he has reconciled, he's restored you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, as a result of what? Of this death, as a result of the cross, he has brought you into his own presence. Now, now catch this. You are in the presence of God right now. Is it because I'm in church? No. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're in right now the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? Well, I don't feel it. Too bad. You is. Look at your neighbor. Say, you is. Okay. You're, you're in the presence of God right now. And now, because you're in his presence and because of what Jesus has done, here's what God says about you. Catch this. You are holy and blameless and you stand before him, before God. Without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this. 
In other words, you must renew your mind to the truth that because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, not what you did for yourself and not what you can do for yourself, but because of what Jesus has done for you, you stand before God holy, blameless, and without fault. That will change your worship. That will change your prayer life. That will change how you read the Bible. That will change how you treat your spouse. That will change how you go to work in the morning. Because you are no longer trying to earn God's favor or trying to earn God's love. Rather, it's already been done. And now I rest in that. That's why this series is called Forgiven Forever, Resting in the Finished Work of Jesus. It is not me trying to do. It is me thanking God that it's already been done. Anybody grateful for it? This is, this, is, this is what's happened. And so now we stand in that. We worship in that. We renew our mind to that. We, we read our Bible from that lens. How many know if, you're, if you have a, a prescription on your glasses, if you get the wrong prescription, it's going to change how you see. Is that not right? If you have a religious prescription, you're going to read this Bible wrong. And you're going to convince yourself that God's against you. God's mad at you. And that you're having to change God's mind about you. Oh, friend, I want you to know today that God's mind has already been set. And He loves you. He cares about you. The price has been paid on the cross. And because of what Jesus has done, you are holy, blameless, without fault. This is it. Now, last week we talked about the word of forgiveness. And we talked about the word of salvation. And today we're going to go into the third word. Jesus made seven different statements on the cross we talked about two last week and we're going through these in chronological order here is the third statement Jesus made on the cross this is John 19 verse 25 through 27 it's going to come up on the screen and uh, it says it's standing near the cross so Jesus is on the cross capture the scene Jesus is on the cross and standing near the cross was Jesus mother his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple, this is John, the beloved, from then on, this disciple took her into his home. I want to talk, this, this third word is the word of provision. The word of provision. I want you to understand this. If, if you just think about the cross and you think about this moment, what an odd conversation. <laughs> right in the middle of the cross, Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. Right in the middle of this moment, he has a conversation with his mama. It's interesting. And he begins to address a need in her life. I want you to think about this because I think it says so much about the gentleness and the love of God. See, Jesus was the firstborn. He was the firstborn son of Mary and his stepfather, Joseph. Now, Mary and Joseph had many children after that, but Jesus was the first. Now, here's what you need to know. You never hear about Joseph after the early days of, of Jesus' life. For whatever reason, Joseph leaves the scene and he leaves the, the scriptures and he leaves the, the gospels. And so Joseph disappears. Now scholars have debated 
for centuries and they'll continue to debate. Joseph either died or some would say Joseph got so tired of his stepson, he got so tired of, of this miracle worker that he ended up leaving because it was causing so much dysfunction in the family. Either way, Joseph is gone. What does that mean? Under Jewish tradition, Jesus as the firstborn son had to take care of his family. Are you all with me? Are you tracking with me? I'm sorry I'm giving you a history lesson real quick, but I'm going to preach in a second. You're going to like it. So this is a little bit different than now. See, back then they didn't have life insurance. Back then they didn't have these kind of things. So Jesus was Mary's provision. Jesus was Mary's physical provision. Jesus was Mary's physical caretaker. Jesus was the family's supply. That's why he was a carpenter, because he had to take care of his family. And now seemingly, her provision is dying right in front of her. What is Mary going to do? How is Mary going to live? Now, of course, she would never confess this. Of course, she would never talk about her fear of the future. Of course not, because her son is dying right in front of her. But no doubt, somewhere deep in her heart, because Jesus addressed it somewhere deep in her heart, she's wondering, what do I do next? My, my son, who is the Messiah, is dying. My, my son, who is the promised king of Israel, is dying. What, what do I do? How am I going to live? How am I going to eat? How do I take care of this family? And Jesus, in the midst of his own cross Jesus in the midst of his own crucible Jesus in the midst of his own pain says hey woman now never call your mom a woman okay unless you Jesus <laughs> says woman John is now your son hey John she's your mama you're going to take care of her Jesus, oh man, I hope you hear this. Jesus already had a plan for Mary's provision. For three and a half years, Jesus mentored John. For three and a half years, Jesus coached John. For three and a half years, Jesus discipled John. For three and a half years, Jesus taught John how to live and how to handle money and how to work hard and how to help people and how to love people and how to heal people and how to, for, for three and a half years, John has been in the house. For three and a half years, there's been a trust that's been built between John and Mary. For three and a half years, Jesus has been raising up John. And they just thought it was for ministry, but it was for something else as well. Hear me, friend. You may be surprised by your current lack. God is not. And God already has a plan for how to take care of you. Take care. Of, oh, man, I'm preaching to somebody right now. And it may look like your provision is dying right in front of you. It may look like your future is dying right in front of you. It may look like where do we go from here and where do we turn from here because I didn't know that relationship was going to end. I didn't know that thing was going to die. I didn't know this business wasn't going to work. I didn't know I was going to lose my job. And though we are shocked by our current need, God is not shocked by our current need, but rather He already has a plan for your future. He already has a plan for where you're going. He's not scared of it, but rather He's already prepared it. God has already provided all of the provision that you need. 
And it's not just spiritual. It's natural. He knows how to take care of you. He knows how to take care of your family. And he's already thought about it. And let me tell you something. Mary didn't think about it because Mary, like everyone else around Jesus, was in complete denial that Jesus would actually die. They all would rebuke him. He'd say, yo, guys, I'm going to the cross. They're like, ah, oh, Jesus. You crazy. Hey, guys, I'm going to die. Oh, you're going to be the king of Israel. What are you talking about? Hey, guys, this is a spiritual kingdom. Oh, no, Jesus, you're going to overthrow Rome. They never believed this was actually going to happen. And now she's having to deal with reality. But Jesus, even in her own lack of faith, has already planned everything that she needs. So Mary is worried, and Mary is a widow, and Mary is alone, and Mary is in fear. Joseph is gone. Her and her family need to eat. Jesus says, I already have a plan. That's why Isaiah 65 says it like this. Before you ever call, I'll answer you. That means before you ever had the faith to pray it, God already had the plan to perform it. You think you slick when you pray those prayers. And God said, I've been preparing this for years. Your faith is finally just catching up to my provision. I'm going to run. I'm about to run around this room. I'm so excited. And then I'm going to run to that kitchen and get some old meatloaf. I'm telling you, I feel this. Man, I hope someone's excited right now. Because at the moment you pray, that's just your faith catching up to God's grace. Sorry, any daddy goes, as it's coming out of your mouth, he's going, yeah, yeah, I already know. I say that to the Lord sometimes. Sometimes I giggle, I just go, God, I already know you already know what I'm about to say. And I know you already got the answer. I'm going to say it anyway. And he goes, good. Because he's that good, friend. And he's that faithful. John, John, the name John in the Hebrew language means Jehovah is a gracious giver. I'm telling you, if you'll trust Jesus, he will prove to you that Jehovah is a gracious giver. If you'll believe God, I promise you, He'll show you that Jehovah is a gracious giver. And I don't know what you need today. Whether it be emotional, physical, spiritual, might be in a family issue, I don't know. But Jehovah is a gracious giver. And He already has a John. He already has a gift. He already has a plan to take care of you and your family. And it's at the cross that He does it. Give God some praise. Come on. Come on, clap your hands, everybody, and celebrate. Isn't God good? My need is surprising to me. His provision has already been prepared by Him. So number one, it's a word of provision to Mary, but it's also a word of provision to John. See, the Bible tells us in Matthew 26 that all, all means all, all the disciples deserted Jesus, deserted Jesus. Every one of them. From Judas to Peter to Mark to John, every disciple deserted Jesus. But somewhere in this, John comes back to his senses and says, I need to get back to Jesus. 
<laughs> and he runs back to Jesus. That's not what Judas do, did. Judas ended his life. But John had enough sense to go, okay, I made a mistake. I ran from Jesus. I made a mistake. I ran from persecution. I made a mistake. I, I ran from this cross. I ran from this moment. He comes to his senses a few hours later, and he's now back at the foot of the cross. The only disciple to do it. Hey, Jabin, what do I do when I mess up? Go back to Jesus. <laughs> what do I do when I really screw up? Run back to Jesus. What do I do when I say the thing I said I'd never say again or do the thing I, I said I'd never do again or be the person I said I'd never be? Run back to Jesus. There is always room at the cross. John finds himself back at the feet of his Savior. And as Jesus is providing for Mary, he's also restoring John. He's going, hey, John, you really messed up. I still trust you. Hey, John, you shouldn't have ran. I still love you. Hey, John, you were really unfaithful in that moment. I'm still faithful. You know, the Bible actually says that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Maybe you feel faithless right now. Maybe you've been making some mistakes. There's still room at the cross. And even as you've been faithless, he'll still remain faithful. Jesus says, I still got a plan for you, John. John, you, what you did was wrong. But your story is still important. And your calling is still secure. What do I do when I make a mistake? I run back to the cross. What do I do when I fail? I run back to Jesus. So in one statement, hear me. Jesus provides for Mary. And in one statement, Jesus restores John. I don't know if you're in a John season or a Mary season. But there's room for both of you at the cross. And whether you feel like, I don't know how I can make it another day, Jehovah is a gracious giver, and he has something for you. And I don't know if you feel like you are so bound in mistakes and bound in addiction and bound in wrong decisions. I'm telling you, Jehovah is a gracious giver, and he can restore you. And so no matter the season you're in, no matter the mountain you're facing, no matter the valley you might feel like you're in, I'm telling you, there is room at the cross. There is provision at the cross. There is restoration at the cross, and I'm begging you, don't run from God. Run to God. Come on, clap your hands right now. Give Him praise. I'm telling you, there's a breakthrough for you. From this very seemingly spiritual moment, Jesus makes sure to take care of Mary's natural needs. Never forget this. The Bible says that we are spirit, soul, and body. That means that God cares about all of you and loves all of you. Number four, the fourth thing Jesus said on the cross. This is the word of substitution. This is the word of substitution. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. I bet every one of you, even if you've never walked in a church before, I bet you could quote this. My God, my God, why have you... 
Okay. Not as many as I thought. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. It's like when you're like half asleep and the preacher puts it on, you're like, Jesus! You know, you're like, amen! <laughs> what? A forsaken. My God, my God. <laughs> Why have you forsaken me? Here, uh, listen to this. When we, when we talk about this statement, we're talking about the holiness of God. Because our God is holy and our God is just. We talked about that last week. And yes, our God is a God of grace and favor, but He is a God of justice. And it is here that we see the justice of God. We see the wrath of God poured out on the body of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says it like this. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. It was in this moment that God had to look away from His Son. It is in this moment that Jesus began to take on the full wrath of God. Not because God is angry. But because Jesus had to take our place because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. We talked about this last week. It is in this moment that Jesus becomes our great substitution. See friend, it should have been us on the cross. Read your Bible. I pray that you do read your Bible. Read your Bible this week and you'll find out that it shouldn't have been Jesus on the, on the middle cross. There was a man named Barabbas that was supposed to be executed on that day. He was a murderer. But the Bible said that Barabbas was set free. Hear me. The guilty set free. The holy condemned. The unrighteous pardoned while the righteous was crucified. And friend, I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. It should have been us. We should have died for our sins and we should have paid the penalty for what we did wrong. But Jesus pushed us out of the way and said, I love you this much. And I will take on myself the sin that you deserve, the punishment that you deserve, the wrath that you deserve, I will be rejected by God so you can be accepted by God. Oh, this is the good news of the gospel, friend. And hear me. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. It costs the Son of God His life. It's so expensive, we couldn't afford it with all the money in the world. Salvation is a free gift, but only because it was purchased. Uh, so now we receive this free gift of salvation, free to us, not free to God. And this makes me love God. This makes me worship God. This makes me fall on my face before God. This makes me pray to God. This makes me love. Why? Because He was so good to me. When it should have been me. He said, I'll take your place. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. Friend, this is the great exchange. This is the beautiful exchange. Let me give you the gospel in a sentence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made him. Who's him? Jesus. God made him who had no sin. And the Bible says that Jesus never sinned. To be sin 
to be the sin offering so that in him, in who? In Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, I hope you're grateful today, friend, that the sinner became righteous. The righteous became a sin offering. The, the free man became condemned so the condemned man could go free. The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become sons of God. This is the great exchange. This is the beautiful exchange. This is the work of the gospel. This is the work of Christ. This is what God does for you and this is what God does for me. And Jesus says, my God, my God, you'll find something interesting. When you read the Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find out this. Every time Jesus speaks to the Father, he calls him Father. He never calls him God. He calls him Father. Every time. Except here. Jesus, in this moment, says, God, you've forsaken me. Why? So we can say, Father, you have loved me. So he's not just God anymore. He's my father. He's my dad. He's my provider, protector, shield. He's my source of life. He's no longer just the God out there somewhere, but He's now Father. Why? Because Jesus in a moment said, I will be rejected so that they can be accepted. And now we can say, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Quentin, come up because I'm going to preach till 2 o'clock if you don't play me out of here. Where is he? Somebody come play. <laughs> Somebody. Somebody play chopsticks. No, no, he's coming. I think he's in the back. Listen to me, friend. This is the work of the gospel. Are you grateful for it today? Can we, can we, just, can we just be a people of gratitude? And listen, listen, listen. Here's what's so huge. Because this will change how you treat people. See, because if, if I think that I've got to earn God's favor, I'm going to make you earn my favor. But if God has been so good and has freely given so much, I will be good to you. No strings attached. So I no longer live a transactional life. What do I get out of this? Sometimes I get nothing out of it but to make your life better. So I don't make my wife earn points with me. Because I don't have to earn points with my Father. And I don't make you earn with me because I don't earn from God. And because I live under a free gift, a free grace, I can now give out free grace. Is it, is it easy to forgive? No, but it's easier. Is it easy to love some people? No, but it's easier. Is it easy to bless your enemies? No, but it's possible only if I believe this. 
as long as I believe God's keeping score, I'm going to keep score. Change your whole life. Some of you feel like, man, I've just I've made too many mistakes. I've done too much. Hear me. You haven't outsinned the grace of God. Can I tell you today? I didn't say this in the 10, but I feel led to tell somebody. God is not keeping score. But I'll say this, God is counting. And let me tell you what I mean. Maybe you just feel like you're down for the count. Maybe you just feel like the enemies beat you up and your own sin and your own issues and your own, you're just down. And you can hear that referee say one, two, three, four, disqualify, five, you've done too much, six, you've said too much, seven, you, you said you would never do it again and you did it again, eight, condemnation, nine, shame, ten, guilt and you just and you feel this and you think I've, I've hit ten I'm out for the count let me tell you what God does he looks at you and he says eleven twelve thirteen fourteen oh anybody grateful fifteen and maybe you're like me ninety seven trillion four hundred and eighty billion oh cause his grace don't run out so good but Colossians 1.23 you got to keep believing this get it in your heart get it in your mouth God will renew your mind